Well, I have to say it's good to be back. It's good to be back in the pulpit after being gone for a couple of weekends. Uh, last weekend, I had the privilege of being with my younger brother as he was married in Georgia. Uh, I think we'll have a, a, a shot there of him uh, as he was getting married. That's my, my brother and his new wife, Olivia, and my two nephews, Jackson and Lane. That um, was just a beautiful wedding, beautiful ceremony. He squeaked in his wedding just a few days before his 40th birthday, so he's now offset. And uh, the week before that, I was at Midwinter, which is a conference that we have uh, in our faith tradition where all of our pastors get together uh, in January or February for a week and we reconnect and we uh, worship together and we learn together. And one of the really interesting things about this last trip was all the discussion and wrestling that was going on about this refugee ban. I mean, there, was, there were so many people that were kind of getting amped up in this discussion of, of what we should or what we shouldn't be doing in our country in relation to refugees. And we were having this discussion while at the same time on all the cable news networks, all you could see was this wall-to-wall coverage of uh, students uh, protesting and rioting on college campuses around the country and destroying property. It made me think as I was hearing all these discussions and seeing this on TV and maybe you'd agree with me. We, we live in a very terribly divided and tense time politically. It's the worst that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Maybe the worst since Vietnam. It's times like this that we tend to create what I would call misguided radicals on both sides. Who think they're right and convinced that they're right, but they only make things worse. As I was thinking about what to share with you today, I was wondering this question. How easy is it for you and I to be a little bit of a misguided radical? I mean, it's easy to see everyone else who's acting crazy, right? And doing the things that they shouldn't be doing. We can easily peg them and figure them out and why, you know, who, what they're doing and why. But how often do we recognize when we're getting a little misguided ourselves? I mean, we all have buttons that cause us to react when they're pushed. Whether it's politics or religion or something else. And I never, th- you know, I, I don't know about you, but I never think that I'm misguided. I'm, I'm always right. I mean, it's you guys that are always wrong. If everyone could just get on my side of the, of the thing, everything would be just fine. But we can get in these echo chambers, can't we? Where we are always only, where we're really only listening or paying attention to people who think and believe just like us. Many of us are guilty of even watching only a certain flavor of news that only says the things that we want to hear and not listening to other perspectives. I wonder sometimes when those around me find me or you to be a little bit stubborn or misguided, unwilling to listen or to see another side to a situation. Today I want to talk with you about what it means to become a misguided radical, to be passionate, to be resolute, to be dead set, That you're right, but be wrong. And what we're going to see today is that God's wisdom is often contrary to our own. And we can miss the voice of God when the only voices we're listening to around us are those voices that we want to hear. Now that's true with politics, but that's also true when you're making decisions about life. And you're not listening to voices of godly people around you who have ideas that are different than you. Or when you are coming out of an argument and you tend to only listen to those people around you who are going to agree with what the side that you took in the disagreement, right? Rather than listening or looking for those who might disagree with you. 
Today we're going to look at the life of a misguided radical from our readings last week in our community Bible experience in Matthew. Maybe you can figure out who this, who this person is. It was a guy who was convinced he was right, but he didn't listen carefully or consider the voice of God in his midst. And it led him to make a hasty decision that branded him a misguided radical and a traitor ever since. His name? Judas Iscariot. That's right. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be in Matthew 26 most of our time today. And by the way, if you have your books of the Bible version, it's page 283 of that, of that book. And while you're turning there, let me just say, by the time, as you're reading through Matthew, and if you read it last week, you probably sensed this, by the time you get to chapter 26, you're kind of at the climax of Jesus' life. Jesus is telling his followers at this time that he's going to soon be crucified and religious leaders who are misguided radicals in their own right, they're making these plans to make sure that that happens. And among them was this one Jewish spiritual leader by the name of Caiaphas. Now Caiaphas is an interesting guy. Caiaphas was a, was a Jewish high priest at that time. And one thing about Caiaphas was he really liked his job. He really liked his position, and he was in his position longer than most other high priests were during that day. Because here's the deal. When Rome came in and they conquered a nation, one of their conditions after they conquered was that everyone in that land had to worship their gods, whether it was Mars or Jupiter or whoever they were that they worshipped. But they made an exception for the Jewish people. You know why? Because they figured, these guys, they're never going to listen to our idea of, of, of religion. So we're just going to let them worship their own God on the condition that the Jewish high priest, who was the kind of guy in charge around there, that he made sure that everyone towed the line. There was no rioting, no rebellion of any kind. If, if there was a hint of that, then the, then the high priest was booted out by Rome. They made sure that someone stayed in that place who kept the people in line. And Caiaphas was a good soldier. He made sure... That the Jewish people followed the line that they were supposed to follow. And they didn't rebel or riot or cause trouble for Rome. Now Caiaphas was one who wanted to make sure Jesus was done away with. And he was determined that he was going to kill him. But as millions poured into Jerusalem for the Passover, Caiaphas realized he couldn't risk a riot over this. But think about this. What about Judas? What do we know about him? Well, we don't know much. We know that he was the son of a man named Simon and that he lived in a time and place where, that bred radical thoughts about the overthrow of the Roman government. And it was a government that many of them saw as ungodly and oppressive. Many have thought that Judas was a zealot. A zealot was a part of this radical political party of that day and they were determined that they were going to overthrow the Roman government by force. Many thought that Judas was one of those. Um, they were kind of like the guerrilla fighters of that day. And they were determined that they would have a Messiah leader who would rise up from among them and they would lead them to conquer Rome and destroy their enemies once and for all. The zealots were, among, were this group of people that were causing rebellions and riots and they were attacking Roman soldiers wherever they went. And they were around until about 70 A.D. When, when Rome finally came in and just destroyed Jerusalem and wiped out every single zealot. From that point on, the zealots were gone. Now, one interesting thing about these zealots is there, there was a small group of these zealots. And they were called the Sicarii, which is, uh, in that language, was, was called the dagger bearers. And they were kind of like the religious terrorists of their day. 
The Sicarii were quite an interesting bunch. I mean, this was before the days of bombs and assault rifles. And these guys would stab and assassinate people in broad daylight that they disagreed with. Many have speculated that this name, Iscariot, that was tacked on to Judas' name, that it was code for Sicarii, that he was one of these dagger bearers who believed in terrorism, basically, to take over the government. Now, when Matthew lists out the disciples who followed Jesus in his gospel, what we see is that Judas is listed at the end right, to, right next to another guy named Simon the Zealot. Now somehow, these two radical guys, they got mixed in with the bunch with Jesus. And what's interesting is when we see uh, Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go out, he doesn't leave these two out. Jesus gives them the ability to and encourages them to go out and preach and to heal people in his name. But by this point... By the time we get to chapter 26, we see that Judas is really kind of fed up with Jesus. We see that he's reaching a breaking point. And there was one story in particular that really set him off. Look at Matthew 26, verse 6. It says this. It says, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Interesting. And in verse 8 it says, When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. And they said, Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, Jesus' response here was more than Judas could handle. He sees Jesus in this moment as totally off track. He's going in the wrong direction. And Judas thinks, I need to fix this. Because Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't getting with the program. He's not doing what he's supposed to do. And now Matthew, tell, Matthew kind of soft sto- tells this story. But when you look at the Gospel of John, when you look at this same story, what you find is that really Judas is the one who's getting really upset by all this. And, and you don't have to turn there, but in John 12, verse 4, it says this. It says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to keep himself what was put in it. You see, at no point in this story does Judas ever really listen to the voice of God in his life. He only listens to the ideas in his own head. But why? Why is it? That, you, that he does he do this? I mean, look at in Matthew 26, in verse 14, right after Judas does this, right after this story, that, listen, listen to what Judas does. It says in verse 14, one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins. 
And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. Why? Why would someone who is a disciple of Jesus, one of the select 12 who is committed to go out and preach and to teach and to heal in Jesus' name, why would he be the one to betray Jesus? Well, over the years, there have been different people who have kind of speculated as to why Judas would do this terrible deed. And there have been three reasons that have kind of risen to the surface over and over again. Three reasons why Judas could have done this, could have been any or all of these reasons. But what's interesting is these same three reasons are the reasons why oftentimes we tend to get misguided and off track when we get frustrated and upset with the way things are going. And the first reason... The possible reason why Judas did this was because of anger and disillusionment. You see, many of the Jews, and and likely Judas, let political views and feelings of discrimination build up to a point that they were filled with feelings of anger. I mean, isn't that true in our country today? Good grief. Make no mistake, though, the Romans in that day, they were brutal in how they treated the Jews. Maybe Judas couldn't accept... Jesus' idea of love your enemies and to win people over that way rather than violence and war. Maybe he saw Jesus as weak and unable to take control of the situation and do what needed to be done. So Judas figured, I just need to get Jesus out of the way. But think about it. Today, how easy is it for you and I to get upset and angry and get just a little bit off and misguided? In our thinking. It's what happens with the driver who gets upset and aggressive when someone cuts him off. Right? It's what happens with the university student when when the rioting and destroying of public property is going on. And it's what happens with you and me when we fly off the handle and we assume the worst in other people. When we say things about others that we should never say rather than listening to the voice of God. So it could have been anger and disillusionment that caused Judas to do what he did. There's another reason that's been speculated, and maybe this is one that you haven't heard before, but um, it's this idea that might makes right, and that force and manipulation can lead us to get the things that we want. Now, many Christian leaders have speculated that Judas never intended for Jesus to die. Did you know this? Many Jewish, many leaders or many theologians have thought that the religious leaders at that day, that they, yeah, they wanted to get rid of Jesus, but that Judas didn't really want to. He just wanted to kind of set Jesus up to take over. He just, maybe that Judas figured, you know what, if, if I hand him over to the religious leaders and they start to kill him, or even if they start to arrest him, that Jesus is just going to rise up and he's just going to get fed up with the whole thing. And he's going to push back and he's not only going to stop them, but he's going to force Rome to its knees. And maybe Judas thought, I just need to give Jesus a little bit of a push, a little bit of a nudge in the right direction, kind of create a crisis for him so that he does what he needs to do. But it doesn't turn out that way. Maybe Judas thought, well, if I, even, if, even if I do this and, and Jesus doesn't respond the way he's supposed to, surely everyone else is going to rise up because they love Jesus and they're, going to, they're not going to stand for this. And they're, going to, they're going to, not only going to riot, but they're going to force Rome to its knees. And I'll get what I want. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? In fact, right after this whole thing starts to unravel, 
if you know the story, G- Judas repents for what he does, right? I mean, he, he goes before these religious leaders and he tries to unwind the thing. He tries to give the money back. He's like, this was a mistake. We shouldn't be doing this. And they're like, too late, Judas. And so when he realizes that this doesn't work, he's so overcome with grief over what's happening that he commits suicide. We too, when we're, when we're misguided, we think we can solve things our way through force and manipulation, don't we? That, but we can't control or guilt people into doing what we think is right, though it doesn't always stop us from trying. But the most clear reason that I want to share with you this morning about why Judas did this, and this, this is, of all the reasons, this one is the most easily found in Scripture, is this. Personal interests and greed. And I think this is the biggest trap for us as well, by the way. Matthew and Mark both say that Judas went to Caiaphas right after this whole expensive perfume incident. And why does Judas get so mad over that? Because Judas says, Jesus, this perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And you know Judas was all about giving money to the poor, right? The poor being himself. Judas was all about pilfering from the pocketbook of Jesus and using money for his own purposes. And when he sees that Jesus isn't selling this perfume, when he's letting letting this happen, Judas is realizing, I'm letting money slip through my hands. And this just kind of does it for Judas. He's kind of done at that point. And he goes to the religious leaders. And remember, what does Judas say to those religious leaders when he goes to them? What's the first thing he asks them? What will you give me? How much money will you give me if I hand him over? You see, more than anything, money and greed and our own selfish desires have a way of distracting us and getting us off track. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil, right? It's, the, it's greed that keeps us from giving sacrificially when God calls us to. It's greed that causes us to to step over people and to put people down, to tear people down to get what we want. And it's greed that that keeps us sometimes from financially helping a friend or a family member when they're truly in need. And we can say in those moments, oh, I can't always be the one that comes out and rescues you and takes care of you. When really, is that the only reason we might say that? You know, we can look at Judas and we can wag our fingers and we can say, how could he? How how could he do something so stupid? But we all have the ability, if we're honest with ourselves, to get selfish and stuck in our own way of thinking. Can't we? Jesus calls us to turn from our selfish ways as we take up our crosses and follow him. Jesus says we must deny our interests. We must deny our needs to get upset, to take control, to manipulate the things around us. And we must truly listen for God's voice. You know, there's a book that um, I've been reading here over the last few days with our elders, our, our leaders here at Grace. And it's a book called Pursuing God's Will Together. One of the things that uh, that book says really struck me here in the last few days. It says this. It says, if we're not pursuing the will of God together in fairly intentional ways, then what are we doing? Our own will? What seems best according to our own thinking and planning? 
that which is merely strategic or expedient or good for our own ego. And then Ruth says this. She says, discernment together opens to us an entirely different reality. That the wisdom of God is beyond human wisdom and is available to us as we learn to open ourselves up to it. She says the scriptures are clear that human wisdom and the wisdom of God are not the same thing. As individuals and as a church, we can make decisions that seem good to us. But if we're not praying, if we're not listening to God, we can totally miss the will of God in our lives. Guys, we must all be humble enough to recognize that we're all fallible. Each and every one of us. Each one of us has the ability to get passionate about things and be passionately wrong about them. You know, years ago, there was this sweet young boy by the name of Joseph Dugashvili. Joseph was raised in a Christian home by Christian parents. He was, he was from humble roots. His, his dad made shoes for a living and his mom washed clothes. This, this, uh, th- this couple was committed to making sure their boy was raised in the fear and admonition of Christ. And after he graduated from Christian school, he went on to seminary. And he was committed to becoming a priest and to giving his life to make a difference for Christ. But in, in Joseph's young life, he came to a point when he stopped listening to the sound voices around him. He started listening to friends around him who were studying works like Marx and Lenin and wanting to start a revolutionary movement. At one point in his seminary career, he ran out of money and he decided to withdraw from seminary. But rather than going home and to be with his family, he decided to join this revolutionary movement. People used to pick on Joseph because of scars on his face that came from having smallpox as a child. And they would pick on him and make fun of him because of his arm, which was disfigured because of a carriage accident as a boy. And in those moments, he would become very angry, and he was determined that no one would push him around anymore. He decided as he joined this revolutionary movement, and he left seminary to change his last name to Stalin, which is Russian for steel. Because again, he was determined, no one is going to push me around anymore. He created an echo chamber around himself. And he only listened to the voices that he wanted to hear. And he came to a place where he shut out the very voice of God in his life that had directed him for so many years. He became one who killed millions of his own countrymen, more so than Hitler did. During World War II. Now, why am I telling you this? Because even the best of us have the ability to get off sometimes. We can get this stubborn streak. We can get pride in our our lives. And we can convince ourselves that we're right. And that everyone else who disagrees with us is just dead wrong. And in those moments, if we're not careful, we can even shut out the voice of God in our lives. How many times... Guys, how many times have I done something stupid because I wasn't listening? I wasn't listening to God. I wasn't listening to other people around me. But I was convinced that I was right. 
How many times have we argued with a spouse or a parent? And we didn't listen because we didn't think that they really had a point. (laughs) It was just, we were the only one that had the rational point in the whole discussion. How many times have friendships, have marriages been destroyed because two people just refused to budge and to listen? Are you a bit of a radical? There's nothing wrong with that. You should be. Christ wants you to be. But what I'm saying this morning is let's take a lesson from Judas and be careful that in our passion and our certainty that we're right, that we actually listen to what others are saying. That we're listening to the godly voices around us who are perhaps saying something different than what we're saying. And rather than discounting them and writing them off and giving this excuses for why no one should listen to them, that we take the time to take those things to God and say, God, what are you saying to me? It's in those moments that we can be radical, but we can avoid being a misguided radical. And it's my prayer that you and I, that we will be that, that we will be radical, that we will do things for Christ that everyone maybe thinks is out of the box and out of ordinary. And as a result of that, we'll see many people come to Christ, but at the same time, they'll never see us as misguided, but they will always see us as true to following the one that we say we serve. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, that is my prayer. It's my prayer that each one of us, that we wouldn't be comfortable, that we wouldn't sit back in our seats and just kind of let the world go by, that we would be passionate, that we would speak out for the things that we believe in. But God, at the same time, as we push ourselves out there, that we would never be misguided. God, would you help us to be oh so careful particularly in the political season we're living in today where there are so many tense, divisive discussions going on. God, help us to be a voice of reason. Help us to be the voice of God in the midst of those situations, to be your ambassador, to bring love and truth to situations that are filled with hatred and divisiveness. God, help us in those moments when we are so dead set in our own way of thinking to listen to you and to listen to your people who are speaking to us on your behalf. God, in these next few moments, as we think about these things, as we think about the life of Judas and the life of Stalin and our own lives and the times in our lives when we have sometimes gotten off track, God, would you help us to see those situations where we're perhaps not listening And that we might start listening. In Jesus' name. Amen.